Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that we are transformed and renewed in your word. We pray that our hearts cling ever tighter to Christ and his cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are continuing in our series, Christ, the Cross, and You. It's all about relationships. We started with the first relationship, which is you and Jesus, Christ and the cross. Then we went to marriage, and then family, and then church. And last week, talking about church, we talked about the walk that you and I are to walk. We are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, in all humility and gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love. Those are wonderful words, aren't they? Inspiring words. How you do this last week? You know, it's tough, isn't it? We hear these words, and then there's the reality of our lives, and we fall short of the glory of God and His words. And the reason for that is that though we are all called to be Christ-like, we still warn the flesh with God, ourselves, and with each other. Thus, no matter the relationship you have, no matter how good they are, at times there will be conflict, right? And it's often easy to blame conflict on the other person, but what we find really throughout Scripture is that conflict first starts in our heart, that the source of conflict first begins with our heart. If you go back to the reading that we had from Genesis with Cain, It's not like one day just Cain woke up and decided that he was going to murder his brother. There was sin that was simmering first in his heart until it erupted and led to murder. So this morning we're going to work on, we're going to learn from God's wisdom what it means to interact with each other when there are difficult times, when there is conflict. We're going to take a look at four things this morning. The first is to leave your old sin-centered self behind, to begin with your new self, to be able to speak the truth in love, and then to be tender-hearted and forgiving. And if you've noticed, all of our lessons so far have come from the book, the letter to the Ephesians. It's a wonderful, wonderful letter, and it is so rich that we've spent We're spending five weeks in the book of Ephesians. So let's go first. We're going to start with verse 17. Leave your old sin-centered self behind. Now this I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. Paul is talking about your life before you were in Christ Jesus. And it's not good. Before you were in Christ Jesus, it is not good. He says that you are darkened, alienated, hardened of heart, callousness. Theologian John Stott put it this way. It's like a downward spiral. First, there's a hardness of heart. Then it goes down to a darkness of heart. Finally, a deadness of heart. Finally, there's a recklessness or an unrestrained sin. 
This is the downward spiral that we have before we are in Christ Jesus. Now, this downward spiral doesn't happen all at once. It generally takes some time to happen. It could be days, but often it's weeks, months, even years for this downward spiral to occur. Now, sometimes it's hard for us to see that downward spiral in ourselves or others, but when you read books or see movies, you can more easily see this downward spiral because the time is compressed. And we often see this when it comes to movies about criminals. How many of you have watched the Godfather trilogy? Godfather, right? Don Corleone, when he was a young man, started off as a good man. And then there's this downward spiral. And they try to make him noble. But really, the violence and the depravity, I I can't actually even watch the Godfather movies anymore because they are so dark and depraved. But there was one in Godfather Part 3, the last one, that I thought really also spoke to this condition. So Michael Corleone, who's now the head of the mafia, the mob, the father, uh, he's talking to a cardinal. And he's talking about the, to the cardinal about all of the fraud that's happening in the Vatican and with the archbishop. It's a massive case of fraud. So after hearing this news, what Michael Corleone has talked to him, the cardinal goes to a fountain, and he says, takes a stone from the fountain, he says, look at the stone. It's been lying in the water for a very long time, but the water has not penetrated it. So he breaks the stone open. It's dry on the inside, even though it's been in water the entire time. It's dry. He says, the same thing has happened to men in Europe For centuries they have been surrounded by Christianity, but Christ has not penetrated. Christ does not breathe within them. Look, you can go to church, you can do all the religious things you want, but if Christ and his cross has not penetrated your life, you're going to be dry and hard on the inside. Now, as far as I know, none of you have ever been or are currently in the mafia. Is that correct? (laughs) So, well, (laughs) one hand raised, okay. Um, (laughs) So sometimes it's kind of hard to take that example and apply it in our own lives. So I want to give you something that's perhaps a little bit more relatable. Back in Minnesota when the tomato crop was there, and big tomato crop, right? I like to make spaghetti sauce, fresh spaghetti sauce. But if you know, if you've ever made fresh spaghetti sauce from fresh tomatoes, it takes a long time to make it because you got to keep simmering it down. And you've got to simmer all day long, hours and hours. Now, as you simmer, if you are like me, perhaps, you might have turned it up a little too high one time. And you might have walked away one time. And it simmers down, not only down, but it gets thick and it gets burnt and it gets, you got to throw it out because the flavor is just all off, right? It's nasty. The same thing can happen when we let sin simmer in our lives. When we let it simmer longer and longer, it gets more and more condensed. 
And often what happens, it gets so condensed, it has a burned, bitter flavor to it. And when it is bubbling on the stove, when it is so thick, you know sauces, when they're too thick, when they bubble, they not just bubble, but they explode and splatter all over. This is that downward spiral of sin in our lives. That's what happens. And when we carry around, when we let sin simmer in our lives, it's really hard to go to church and pray and be spiritual. It's hard to have loving family relationships. It's hard to have a marriage when one of you is just sleeping on the couch. And the trouble is the more and more we simmer, the more and more we just want to justify our simmering. They're right, I'm right, and they're wrong, and that's pretty much how it goes. You understand that, right? You get that as the downward spiral. But Paul says, no, 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 no. That's how you were before you were in Christ Jesus. That's not how you are to be today. So he says this. He says, but that's not the way you learned in Christ, assuming you have heard about Christ and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on your new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What Paul is talking about here also echoes very much what is written in Romans chapter 12. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's why we have spent so much time focusing on Jesus and his cross. And we find in the cross such great humility, not counting ourselves better than one another, we find in the cross the love, the steadfast love that Jesus has for us, the tenderheartedness that he has for us, the patience that he has for us, and the sacrifice that he gave for us. We talked about how he has poured out immeasurable riches of grace upon each one of us. You see, when you are renewed in the spirit of your mind, then you desire what God desires, true righteousness and holiness. This is what counteracts that simmering of sin. And he says, because of this, because of your new life in Christ, you are to do this. So Ephesians, starting with verse 25, therefore, having put away all falsehoods, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as forfeits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, 
clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, there's a lot in there. We're going to take a look. There are six main lessons you could take out of that. Speak in truth. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not steal. Do honest work. No corrupting talk. Put away all bitterness and wrath. Be tenderhearted and forgiving. You can see by the highlight, we're going to focus on three of those because I think if you do the three of those, the others follow. So the first is to speak the truth. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. This is a tricky one in today's culture because today's culture has taken to speak the truth, meaning to speak my truth. I'm going to speak my truth. Can you even hear the attitude that comes with that? I'm going to speak my truth to you. So it's not about speaking the truth. It is about speaking their truth and winning the argument. And that's what we find in today's culture and in today's discourse. When your goal is to speak my truth, your goal is to often win the argument. And if your goal is to simply win the argument with the neighbor, you've already lost. Therefore, you must temper speaking the truth. If we go to uh, verse 15 that began our reading from Ephesians today, it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Listen, when there's conflict, we are to speak the truth in love, and thus the goal should be to grow also in love for one another, not to simply win. You can have a lot of disagreements with people, and if there's still respect, you can maintain a healthy relationship. You can have a lot of hard disagreements, strong emotions, but if there is love, you can still maintain the relationship. Love is at the essence here. Now, Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, wrote a very famous section on love. It's often used at weddings, so you're going to know it from weddings. But actually, do you know what? He was talking about how we are to use the spiritual gifts with one another. So it's actually about interacting with one another. So let me read a little bit from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's 1 through 7. You just have the first verse on here. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We are to speak the truth in love. So let me paraphrase a little bit here. If I speak with passion and win the argument but have not love, 
I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have more knowledge than the other person and can run circles around them in arguments but have not love, I am nothing. You see, in our conversations, in conflict, truth and love are never to be separated. Yet what does sin do? Sin often separates truth and love, and you go to my truth and you forget love. But what does love do? When you focus on the love of the other person, it tempers our hot-headedness. Love demands first that you look at your own eye, as from our gospel reading, and you look at the log in our own eye first. And you think, hmm, maybe I don't have the corner on truth, as I might think. Maybe I am wrong in this. Maybe I don't see the full perspective of what's going on. You see, when you focus on the love and some of those questions, what do you get? Humility, gentleness, and patience, which is what we covered last week, right? That's where the love of Christ comes in. Also, when your anger is tempered, it helps stop the devil from getting a foothold. Let's talk about anger for just a little bit. It says, be angry, but do not sin. Anger itself is not a sin in and of itself. God is described as being angry. He is described as being wrathful, but yet it is not sin because it is righteous anger and righteous judgment and righteous wrath. The trouble is you and I don't have God's full perspective, do we? We want to think that our anger is the righteous anger and their anger is the unrighteous anger. I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm not only right, you're really wrong. And that's kind of how it goes, doesn't it? And what we do then, we also start to assign motives to that person. Oh, they must be lying. They don't really believe what they're saying. Have you ever been surprised by somebody who's said what your motives are? And you think, I don't have that at all. Now, if you're surprised what somebody might say about you, maybe you have the same thing going on. Maybe you're describing motives or putting motives on somebody else. And thus, love tempers us. James chapter 1, verse 19. You probably know this one. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. Right? That old saying of count to ten, for some of you might, that might work. For some of you, it might be a hundred. For some of you, it might just be, you know what, i got to take a time out for a while. I can't actually have this conversation anymore because I know that my tongue is going to say something that I shouldn't say. And I have to go and take a look. Perhaps I might have a log in my eye. James goes on to say, chapter 3, chapter three verse 3, 
The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. How's that? That's what your tongue does. It can really overtake you. He goes on, for every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. Do you, only, do you know what the only thing that tames your tongue? It's you focus on Christ and his cross. And you think of what he has done for us and how he had forgiven us the greatest of sinners. That's what tames your heart. And that's what then tames your tongue. You see, we are to be tender-hearted and forgiving one another. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. We're back to the cross again, right? Keeps coming back up, as God in Christ forgave you. See, what happens when you don't forgive another? When that sin simmers, you become bitter. You really do. You become bitter about everything that is happening around you, and it doesn't kill the other person. It kills you. It kills you. Charles Stanley said this. He said, Unforgiveness is a deliberate mindset to do the opposite, to resent the wrong and the wrongdoer and to seek revenge. The unforgiving heart clings to the past refusing to extend to others what our Heavenly Father has extended to us. In Ephesians 4.32, the apostle insists upon forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, when we focus on Jesus and his cross and the forgiveness we have, then it permeates our hearts. If we don't, the result is this. And you're going to, you, you find all of this in our reading today. The result of unforgiveness is bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and corrupting talk. All of that is found in our passage from Ephesians. Like I said, we're just focusing on three of those phrase, phrases, but they all tie together. And all of this then leads to sin. When you forgive Are you willing to let go of your resentment? Not condoning the other actions of the other. That's not what I'm saying here. God forgave us. Did he condone our sin? No, he didn't condone our sin. And yet he still forgave us. You see, central to the Christian life is a life of forgiveness. And through Christ Jesus, we have been forgiven. Therefore, forgive one another as God has forgiven you. Pretty simple, isn't it? It's hard to implement, though, because you've got to take a look at those areas. Are there parts of your sin-centered life that you are just dragging ahead? Do you even know what your new life in Christ is to be like and the walk to which you are called? Are you speaking the truth, not my truth, but the truth that comes from Christ in love? And finally, Are you doing it with compassion and mercy? Are you being tender-hearted and forgiving? This is the essence 
of what it means to have relationships and start to resolve conflicts with one another. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is truth. We thank you for the holiness and the call to holiness you have given us in Christ Jesus. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be encouraged and strengthened in our walk. Let our hearts be focused on Jesus and his cross and the love you have for us through him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com.